1: we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com BP bpshow.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration, this is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
3: Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Bill Press today. Whoa! It's a Tuesday, April 16th. Uh, Bill is out. He will be back tomorrow. Uh, But until then, you are stuck with me, your host, MC, star of the show, renowned spoiler of women, Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Uh, I appreciate you watching the show. If you're watching us at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, also on Free Speech TV, Uh, we are live there as well. Uh, And of course, streaming on your favorite progressive talk radio stations and in podcast form. If you want to check out the podcast, if you want to get the whole show, Uh, Of course, you just go to Apple Podcasts uh, or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your your podcast, wherever you listen to them. And we are there for ye. So go check that out. I uh, am here in the big chair doing the big show. Uh, I've got my buddy, McKenna, running the board. Good morning.
4: What's up?
3: What's up? How are you?
4: A little tired.
3: Uh, Let's just pull back the curtain just a little bit. You are running the board for the first time first time you feel okay about it
4: I, I'm shaking my hands are sweaty but I feel
3: you look you know. remarkably collected uh to be to be doing this thank you uh, but I have nothing but faith in you oh and God. if anybody has words of encouragement, You know, you can find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Send
2: all the love,
3: please. Also, of course, uh, keeping us on TV, on Free Speech TV and on YouTube is Monty Canceler, who is here uh, doing a great, great job. Uh, Okay, so I just have to start out talking about the Notre Dame stuff yesterday. This is a a real bummer. Uh, Let me just first of all point out that the majority of Notre Dame will be saved, Uh, The building, the structure, all of that stuff, uh, they said will be saved. Uh, The president of France, Emmanuel Macron, spoke through a translator yesterday where he sort of said, uh, this is going to be okay.
2: We have saved this building of over 800 years in age.
3: So uh, they've saved the building. Lots of pieces were destroyed by a fire. Uh, there was a maintenance crew, uh, a, um, a construction crew nearby that was working on some stuff. It started a small fire, which then rapidly spread. Look, uh, it, it, if you've never been to, or if you've ever been to Paris, you have certainly seen Notre Dame. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm conflicted because it's a beautiful structure; it's amazing. But then again, you look at why it was built and the religious. Uh, 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 insanity <laughs> around the time that they would build such an opulent structure uh the Notre Dame cathedral housed the alleged crown of thorns that uh this guy uh this Jesus Christ character wore apparently uh they did save that and there were other relics in there which is to me just shows kind of like the it's a little absurd. Like the Catholic Church is so absurd. Uh, but they did save some of this stuff, which is may or may not be actual relics from the time. I mean, whatever. But it is, it, it's very, very sad. I mean, it's, the thing is, 800 years old. And you talk about uh, centuries and centuries of craftsmen and artisans who have gone there and worked on this. Uh, there are things that um, the Tunic of St. Louis. Uh, which dates back to the 13th century uh, was there. I mentioned the crown of thorns as well. Uh, So like, look, it's a bummer. I hope that they rebuild it in a way that uh, maintains the integrity of what Notre Dame was uh, and that it's still as striking to look at and to see when you go to Paris. Uh, So uh, I'm glad that they were able to save the bulk of the structure. Hey, we've got a big show coming up. I'll tell you all about it when we come back after a very, very quick break. Stay tuned.
2: This is the Bill Press
3: Show. Yes, it is the Bill Press Show. Thank you for tuning in on a Tuesday, April 16th, 2019. Uh, gosh, Uh, yesterday was tax day. Uh, Donald Trump had a big tax rally out in Minnesota. I didn't pull any, we didn't pull any audio from it. We're not going to, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I, I think that Donald Trump, uh, is the, is the textbook case of someone who, should not be talking on tax day. This is a guy that's dodged tax day his entire life and has also completely destroyed the tax system that we have here to where the millionaires and billionaires in this country uh, celebrate tax day like it's Christmas. Uh, We will talk about Bernie Sanders uh, a little bit later on in the program, a little bit on in this this segment. Uh, Bernie Sanders had his town hall on the Fox News channel Uh, last night. I watched it. I have some thoughts. I will share them with you momentarily. Uh, I I guess one of the big news stories that's a non-news story, you know, yesterday it's cable TV just drives me crazy sometimes because, you know, I'm I'm sitting in here in the studio for, for a large chunk of the day and we're prepping for the next day's show and all of that. And we have these three televisions. One on CNN, one on MSNBC, and one on Fox News. Okay, uh, and it, we just sort of monitor what's going on all throughout the day. And right now, they're all talking about Notre Dame, uh, which uh, suffered a very serious fire yesterday, which is big news. That's worth talking about. Uh, but yesterday, everybody fell over themselves to say, "Oh, oh, the Mueller report! We're going to get the the new Mueller report. It's going to be Thursday of this week. So in two more days." Bill Barr, the attorney general, is expected to release uh, Robert Mueller's report. Now, asterisk on this, it is the redacted report. Now, uh, a lot of us, and I say us because we, I think, present company included, I was a little guilty of this, after Barr put out his sort of revision of the Mueller report, A lot of people just accepted it. Now, I think that there is plenty of truth in what William Barr said, because I think that you can't completely BS what the Mueller report said without, you know, somebody finding out about it. So in spirit, I think it was probably close to what the Mueller report said. Uh, But we will get the redacted version of it. Now, will those redactions make a difference? Will the redactions that are in that report cover up and hide and uh, make it easier for Donald Trump to lie about his involvement? Probably. Probably. Probably, right? Probably. Uh, So I think we should take it with, uh, how should we say, a grain of salt. Whenever Bill Barr releases anything, uh, we should say, uh, well, let's just take a look at the whole picture, not just his version of it. What is there to redact, by the way? Like, special counsel testimony, there are certain things that they don't want to get out. Okay, so there are some things I can see, maybe. But, like, put it all out there. We know who these people are. What are we what are about? Donald Trump's running around a golf course with an unsecured telephone that he loses in the golf cart. But we're worried about national security secrets leaking out through the Mueller report. I'm not that worried about it. I'm not that worried about it. Frankly, I'm not that worried about it. Folks, folks, I'm not that worried about it. Uh, I do want to – I talked a little bit about Notre Dame. uh, and 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 Honestly, that's all I have to say about the Mueller report. We'll see it when when it comes out. We'll see the redacted report when it comes out. Uh, I talked about the Notre Dame fire. Uh, It appears as though they're going to be able to save most of the structure. Uh, The iconic 800-year-old building uh, caught fire yesterday and and did some very serious damage. Uh, Here's President uh, S for brains, Donald Trump, where he was watching this stuff on cable news, no doubt, yesterday. And he had to tweet about it because of course he did. And he says, so horrible to watch the massive fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Perhaps flying water tankers could be used to put it out. Must act quickly. Uh, Okay. So even when the president of the United States says Maybe we should use water to put out fire. He is completely wrong. That's not how this works. This is an 800-year-old structure. It's filled with religious relics, which I don't really care if we lose those. Frankly, I think it's silly. But, 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 clearly there's some value to those things. And he's talking about just dumping hundreds and thousands of gallons of water on this precious architectural gym, an actual treasure of the architectural world. He's like, just dump a bunch of water on it. It would do more damage than any fire could do if you were to dump, quote, flying water tankers, end quote, on top of the fire. You dumbass. It's like, my... Kids, when they were like seven years old, may have had that idea. And you explain, no, 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 that's, you can't do that. You can't just dump fire on your water on a fire like that. Uh, he, th- This, of course, that tweet came at, let's see, one thirty nine p.m. Eastern time. At 1.35 p.m. Eastern time, while the fire was raging, Donald Trump, th- so like, Four minutes before his great idea, this genius idea to uh, flood the Notre Dame Cathedral with water from, quote, flying water tankers, Uh, four minutes before that, he tweeted, I spoke to Tiger Woods to congratulate him on the great victory he had in yesterday's Masters and to inform him that because of his incredible success and comeback in sports, parentheses, golf, and more importantly, all caps, Life, I will be presenting him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Oh boy. I mean that's what Trump actually cares about, right? Like I look, I watched the Masters a little bit over the weekend. I watched the Tiger Woods win. That's that's cool. Uh but like come on, man. Are you going to give him the presidential medal of freedom because he won uh, the Masters after it's been, what, like 15 years since he won another one? Uh, this is what Trump actually has the capacity to deal with. This is what he actually has the bandwidth to deal with. Sports guy redeemed himself. I now have to use my platform as president to uh, to award him. All right. Okay. Uh Okay, so I also, uh, last night, in case you didn't watch it, I watched uh, Bernie Sanders uh, give a town hall on Fox News. Now uh, we have been very clear on this program, uh, the Democratic National Committee said they're not going to have any debates on Fox News, which I think is the correct and right thing to do. I don't think that the Democratic Party should allow Fox to dictate the conversation that's happening in the Democratic Party. Uh, and I don't think that they would handle it in an appropriate way. It's all about gotcha, 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 and I think that some of these candidates need to be held account for some of their views, right? And I trust other people to do it in a good faith way, not Fox News. All that being said, that's completely different than a candidate going onto Fox News, which is what Bernard Sanders did last night when he went on uh, Fox News with Martha McCallum and Brett Baer. Now, the uh, town hall took place in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I don't know a lot about Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, it took place at a place called the Arts Quest Center at Steel Stacks. That sounds very hip and modern and cool, and it had a very uh, interesting backdrop. It was looked like an event uh, uh, space with these giant windows, with all of these huge, with like a steel mill in the background. And I was like, oh, what, what an interesting uh, backdrop. I, I looked it up to see where they were where they were doing it. So like I said, it's Arch Quest Center at Steel Stacks. So what had happened was...
4: What had happened was... What had happened
3: was that used to be a place called Bethlehem Steel, where we made lots of steel in this country, and it built the country, it built the nation. Very popular, uh, very successful business. We made steel products here in America, and we used them to, to build infrastructure, to build buildings, to build the country, right? You know what it is now? It was bought by the Sands Casino Resort and turned into a casino and an event center.
4: I mean, what else?
3: What is more American than that? What is more American than a good... uh Steel Factory providing jobs to thousands of Americans to keep jobs here in America, to use American products, to build American products, and now it's a casino. Cool. Awesome. Great. Wonderful. Grand. That's awesome. Love it. This is America, right? That's, I mean, it's amazing. And so, like, the Arts Quest Center is sort of an event space. It looks nice, uh, but it is, it, it, make no mistake, it is part of the casino complex there in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, so Bernard Sanders, uh, went there last night, uh, and he talked to, uh, Brett Baer and congratulations to Brett Baer. I, I, people use the term babyface about Brett Bear. I've never seen anyone more babyface than Brett Bear. I mean, the guy looks like he's negative in age. And Martha McCallum, it was a little contentious at times, um, but for the most part, the thing that was so fascinating to me is uh, Bernie Sanders took his message to uh, the – I can can't—I mean, when you talk about working-class cities and heartland America, I mean, this is it. This is exactly what people talk about. And he took it to uh, this crowd, and they loved it ate it up they ate it up they ate up every word that bernie sanders had to say for the most part now uh he covered a range of topics he took questions from the audience some somebody on twitter pointed out that one of them was an actual staffer for turning points usa which is this like uh 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 conservative youth organization right um but Bernie took his ideas there, and he uh, won a lot of people over. Or at least, uh, at least he had the crowd on his side. Now, I just want to be very, very clear, and I've been very clear about this from the beginning. I have not said who I'm going to vote for. Uh, now, I am a little more inclined to vote for someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Uh, R.I.P. My mentions because I know y'all are coming and I that's know. and that's, sure that's fine feels. and that's fine um as opposed to uh somebody like a John Hickenlooper or a Joe Biden or a, or, or you know Kamala Harris even like I I think that uh it's a time for democrats to actually get back to being progressives instead of squishy uh centrist moderate politicians and I've never been so sure of that as I was last night when I watched Bernie Sanders pitch what are being painted as radical ideas and watching this crowd of overwhelmingly white people. I mean, it's Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I I, I honestly don't know the racial makeup there, uh, but I can say that the crowd for this Fox News uh, town hall was majority white. Yes. Vast majority white. And I don't know how they picked the crowd, but this was not an anti-Bernie crowd, but they were at a Fox news town hall. So I don't know exactly how you figure that out. So I want to play a couple of clips from, uh, from, uh, Bernard. Um, uh, uh, McKenna, I want to first play the clip where he talked about how he's on Fox news and how a lot of people said, you know, you should not go on Fox news.
2: You ask me fair questions, I will give you fair answer. Thank you, sir. That's the deal. And you know, not everybody thought that I should come on this show. And we appreciate it. All right. All right. Your network does not necessarily have a great deal of respect in my world, but I thought it was important for me to be here and have a serious discussion about serious issues. Okay,
3: so that that that, that is what he did. He went there, he had a serious discussion about serious issues. He called out Trump over his Islamophobia, he called out Trump over the uh, manufacturing of a crisis at the border, he called out Trump over his tax returns, he called out Trump over a number of different things, and to to Bernie's point, uh, he said nobody on Fox News ever, ever, ever calls Trump out on his lies and, uh, terrible behavior and all of that. Nobody ever calls him out on it on Fox, nobody ever, never. And so Bernie was the guy to go there and, and do it. And, you know, Fox tried to paint Bernie into a corner on a number of different issues. Um, the most illustrative point of why it's valuable to go and talk to Uh, these voters, in a strong way, take a stance, take a position, don't back down from it, Medicare for all. This is Bernie's signature issue in his platform, I would say. Uh, and, And it's been that way for a long time. So much so that the entire Democratic Party has essentially gotten behind Bernie on Medicare for all at this point. You can hate Bernie Sanders, that's fine. You have to admit that the, his stance on Medicare has completely changed the Democratic Party and also probably helped them win the midterms uh, because they were running on healthcare. And Bernie Sanders showed that you could stand up for uh, healthcare for everyone. It is a human right, and everyone deserves it. And there's no backing down from it, there's no watering it down or getting wishy washy about it like candidates we've seen in the past. And so when uh, Brett Baer asked everybody in the audience, some of this is visual, but I want to play this clip. He asked everybody, raise your hand if you have a health care plan through your employer. And plenty of people raised their hand. And then listen to what happens next.
1: Uh, I want to ask the audience a question, if you could raise your hand here. A show of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance right now. How many get it from Plenty of
3: people insurance? raised their hand.
1: Okay, now of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says, a government-run system? Listen to that. He's just asking for a show of hands, and people start
3: cheering and clapping. That's the power of taking a stand on an issue and not settling for anything less. When you start out there... You're going to win people on your side. If you start out in the middle and you start with a compromise, it's only going to get watered down and confusing, and you're only going to like make people more angry. Bernie Sanders won a lot of people over last night. I mean, he just did. Um, he also talked about his taxes. This is sort of a, a new thing. Let's give credit uh, where credit is due. Kamala Harris released, I think, 12 years of tax years, returns. Yeah. What's that? Fifteen years. Fifteen years? 15, yeah. She released 15 years of tax returns yesterday. Uh, Bernard Sanders uh, released uh, 10 years of his taxes uh, yesterday as well. And everyone's pointing out, oh, Bernie, Mr. Socialist. Oh, he's a millionaire. He's a millionaire. And uh, uh, Brett Baer, again, who looks like a Cabbage Patch doll, uh... Who, who ate too much fun dip in the back of the family Volkswagen, like on a family, like just, <laughs> uh, he, he asks him um, about the taxes and Bernie Sanders makes a lot of money. And Bernie Sanders goes, yeah, I do.
1: Your taxes do show... That you're a millionaire. You did make a million in 2016, 2017. You're right, the five sixty-one in twenty eighteen. But your marginal tax rate tax rate was twenty-six percent because of President yeah. Trump's tax cuts. So why not say, you know, I'm leading this revolution, I'm not gonna take those.
2: <laughs> scuff. Come on. We're doing I am <laughs> I paid the taxes that I owe. And by the way, why don't you got Donald Trump up here and ask him how much he pays in taxes? Yeah. Yeah, well, no. well, I am eagerly awaiting you doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: Bernie not only answered the question in an effective way, and, and I didn't pull the whole clip where he talks about, you know, look, I, I, I made a lot of money. I'm not going to apologize for making a lot of money off of this book. It's a great, and he even says it's a great book. You should go read it. Um. Not only gives a, a solid answer, but points out the hypocrisy of Fox News. Uh, they have Donald Trump on Fox News all the time. All the time. He He's able to just call in from the toilet in the mornings, uh, which very few politicians get to do, by the way. As a producer, let me just point out. Uh, We don't we don't take phone calls on the show. We don't do guests over the phone. We do in studio because that's how we roll. But there was a time that we used to have guests on the phone every now and then. And you know what we wouldn't do is allow people to call in on terrible cell phones. Fox News just lets Donald Trump just call in from the cell phone, on the toilet, in bed, wherever he is, the golf course, who knows. And, and they, they've never once asked him about his tax returns. They don't ask him about his tax returns.
4: Because they know.
3: Because they know. They know. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, so, look, I think Bernie did a very, very, very good job. I'm not saying for sure I'm definitely going to vote for Bernie Sanders. Uh, I am I am certainly persuaded after that town hall last night to uh, give him a very serious look. I had questions about whether or not uh, he would still have the juice that he had in 2016, and he absolutely still has the juice. Uh, he was asked about the age question as well last night, uh, and he said, you know, look, it's important to ask that question. Uh, he, he said that whoever uh, is his vice presidential candidate will be not only someone who is younger, but someone who is a person of color, and also, uh, a more than likely a female. So, like, he's picked up on a lot of the pr- uh, problems that uh, he was perceived to have in 2016. Uh, so on the age thing, though, right? Like, I think it's fair to say, is he still going to be like with it? That I mean, he knows it so well. He knows it very well. He acted quick on his feet. He took questions from the audience. He convinced a couple of people. Uh, clearly, clearly, uh, Bernie did a great job. Uh, I want to read a couple of comments on this, um, uh, not just on this, but on a, on a lot of different issues. Uh, Donald Trump saying that uh, Tiger Woods getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom just announcing it on Twitter yesterday uh, G. Kane says it's amazing how everyone completely forgot what Tiger Woods did to his wife and kids he's now beloved BS right uh, look th- there is something to be said uh, about how Tiger acted uh, and I am not here to defend it at all uh, but it is clear to me that Tiger Woods has matured Uh, A lot. And that's not a pass, I think. You want to give him grief for that? You absolutely should. And I I think it's totally fair, right? He did some scummy, scummy things. Uh, But it's clear that he has matured a lot, uh, and he was brought up in a very weird bubble of becoming a a golf superstar, and I don't think he was ever actually able to figure out anything. So it's not an excuse. But, look, he is now at a point in his life where – uh he went down in a hole there. I mean, he wasn't winning golf for years and now he came back and won the Masters. I think I think that's worthy of accolade. Agreed. I'm not saying that he guys a role model and we should give him a free pass on some of the scummy things that he did, but that is worthy of note. Agreed. Uh of noting. Uh I'm not saying that he deserves a presidential medal of freedom, but um also somebody says Trump is pushing Tiger Woods because it's an ad- it's advertising for Trump golf courses always selfish. All right, maybe. Maybe. Uh Tom says, "Let's not fool ourselves. Donald Trump's tweet about Tiger Woods was not about Tiger. He wants to take advantage of Tiger's comeback popularity to line his personal and political pockets." Uh yeah, fair. Um so, I, I want one last thing before we uh, take a break, the, you know, on Bernie Sanders' taxes and all that, uh, I, mean, I want to play one more clip. Uh, this was over the weekend. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was uh, on, uh, I think it was this week, either on this, no, it was Fox News Sunday. This was on Fox News Sunday, I think. She was on both for the record, but this clip in particular came from Fox News Sunday, uh, where there is this fight to get a look at Donald Trump's tax returns. Will we get to see them? Uh, maybe, I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon. I think there's going to be a fight over, uh, uh, over releasing them and, and, and letting us see them. Uh, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave just the most ridiculous, ridiculous defense of why he won't release them.
4: This is a dangerous, dangerous road, and frankly, Chris, I don't think Congress, particularly not this group of congressmen and women, are smart enough to look through the thousands of pages that I would assume that President Trump's taxes will be. My guess is most of them don't do their own taxes, and I certainly don't trust them to look through the decades of success that the president has
5: and determine anything.
3: Okay, so she's calling members of Congress stupid. And then, which is which is the headline here, right? Everybody so oh, she called members of Congress stupid. And yeah, that's worth mocking, right? But she also sort of insinuates, they probably don't do their own taxes. As if Donald Trump does his own taxes.
2: Does she do her own taxes?
3: As if she does her own taxes. I mean, maybe she does. I don't know. But, like, there are, uh, there are a lot of people in this country who don't do their own taxes. I mean, that's hardly any sort of uh, uh, defense for why they can't release uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, taxes. All right, so uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, Oh, gosh, how embarrassing. I didn't even tell you about the great show that we have uh, lined up today. Uh, Joining us next will be uh, Miranda Green from The Hill. She's going to talk all about Elizabeth Warren and a very exciting new idea that she has put out there. Also, Olivia Nuzzi from New York Magazine will be here uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. And Gabby Orr, White House reporter for Politico, will be joining us in the uh next hour so stay tuned coming up next miranda green is in studio we'll be right back
2: download our podcast search for the bill press show on itunes and remember to rate review and subscribe this is the bill press show
3: it is the bill press show thank you everybody for tuning in i appreciate you joining us remember we are on twitter uh at bp show at bp show where i'm reading your comments so I, uh I just want to touch for a moment on the Bernie Sanders Town Hall, because somebody uh, tweeted and said, I like that Peter has yet to realize this audience was packed by Bernie supporters, not your average Fox viewers. I don't know that. I don't know how they picked the audience last night. I mean, I assume Fox had some control over it. It's not like they let the candidate pack uh, a town hall with uh, their supporters. I I just, I, I honestly, genuinely asked and address this in the segment, I don't know how they got those supporters. I don't, or, 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 not supporters, but audience. I don't know how they got that audience. So if anybody knows, you can find us on Twitter, at show. I would love to know. Uh, I would love to know. Uh, we've got lots of stuff to talk about. Energy and environmental reporter for The Hill, Miranda Green is on the scene. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You can follow her on Twitter, at Miranda C. Green. Uh, what's happening?
0: Well, it's, it's, crazy. Been, it's been uh, a pretty big environment and, you know, climate change is is, is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, that's what's happening. Um, so there's so much that I want to talk to you about because, uh, you know, specifically in regards to 2020. Because you're seeing a lot of candidates, Democratic uh, uh, primary candidates, who are sort of uh, uh, taking a stand, uh, finding their lane on environmental issues. Uh, I think of Jay Inslee, who is running a campaign almost
0: entirely. It's his main issue. Yeah, Mm -hmm. on
3: climate change. And everything, and I think it's interesting. uh, I'm not saying I'm going to vote for him. I'm not saying I'm not going to vote for him. I'm just saying it's interesting. Every single thing, every single issue that he talks about in some way or another comes back to climate change. And, uh, you know, I'm of a generation. Where I don't know that people cared about it as much as they do right now. Is that kind of, um, is there any polling to back that up? Let me put it that way. Is there anything that shows that like, yeah, people will vote on climate change issues?
0: You know, it it used to be an issue that was something that many Democratic voters considered important, but they never voted on exactly. it. Exactly. Right? So that was, it was a topic that they would say, sure, of course, it's important to me. But when it came down to it, they voted about jobs and health care. Yeah. But actually, we're starting to see some polling, especially with Iowa caucus goers, showing that there is an elevation of the issue. Uh, now, a, a, most, a recent poll that came out about a month ago showed that Iowa caucus goers, uh, Democrats, were, and, and Republicans uh, were, li- were listing second issue next to healthcare. I think that's fascinating. So they're fascinating. kind of linking the two issues as climate and kind of the effects of what's happening to the environment and what's happening to our air and pollution is linked to healthcare, which is a top issue now.
3: Um, I, I talked to someone the other day that said that they are a single-issue voter on climate change. That's their one issue. Uh, I, I would assume if that's where you stand, you probably would vote for Jay Inslee because he has made it the primary, um, uh, issue in his campaign, but you are seeing more democratic candidates, uh, come out and talk about climate change. And you recently, uh, wrote a piece about Elizabeth Warren. Um, Not specifically about climate change, but about environmental issues. Uh, She's going to stop, or says that she would stop if she were president, drilling on public lands.
0: Yes, and she's saying that this is, you know, linked to a climate change issue because what we found out this year, a recent government study came out that about a quarter of all emissions, greenhouse gas emissions in the United States come from drilling on public lands. So just from- What was least, that number again? A quarter. Gee, 25%. Come on. that's so crazy. So just from leasing these lands and plots to oil and gas companies and getting the profit from yeah. those leases and those royalties, we are emitting 25% of our overall greenhouse gas emissions. And so this plan that Warren- Unearthed yesterday, it's kind of a four-parter with a couple extras thrown in. But one of the main things is that if she were to become president, she wants to put a moratorium on all new drilling. Okay. So of course, this still leaves off any drilling that is happening now, any lease sales that could be happening on public lands and offshore drilling. So leaves the door open to the Trump administration still. Doing a couple, some more damage, you know, expanding the oil and gas uh, infrastructure, which is something that the president has said is a main initiative of his. But she's the first person to come out and say, "I want to cut off any future revenue here, and I want to find revenue elsewhere."
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because we followed Elizabeth Warren um, for many years on this show, as long as she's been in you know public life, and. She has sort of been on one issue, right, Um, income inequality, breaking up the banks, uh, punishing the banks that, you know, th- th- that's her yeah, issue, sure. right? She hasn't really been way out there on issues like climate change.
0: No, it is a bit bizarre for her. And even coming as a congressional reporter, I mean, she doesn't sit on any of the major committees that oversee the Interior Department or the Environmental Protection Agency. But she clearly t- did some due diligence here in drafting this policy because some of the main things that she wants to push are this moratorium on oil and gas. She right. wants to bring back the national monuments the trump administration shrunk There's two national monuments out in utah she yeah. wants to get you know bring back the boundaries that were shrunk and she wants to do other things like make national park entrance free uh, fees free to everybody and also she is uh she wants to just expand i have heard access. that by the way
3: is that really about the national parks yes boy i, I love that idea I absolutely love that
0: idea. And it's interesting because it runs completely counter to what our former Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, I don't know if you remember him, but he left earlier in this year under a plague of scandals. But he had... Wait, which
3: Cabinet Secretary (laughs) left under a plague of
0: scandals? It's sometimes hard to keep track. Yeah, oh, Zinke. Okay,
3: okay, cool. I forgot which one it was.
0: (laughs) So he had pitched last year uh, a very un- a, a very uh, unsatisfactory plan that most people push back upon, which was that he wanted to raise entrance fees. Ah, come on, man! And he specifically mentioned, and I remember this sitting, you know, on Capitol Hill during this hearing, but it was to places like that for veterans, for uh, people who came in in vans because you only pay per car, not per person. And, you know, he wanted more revenue. Mm. So this is clearly very different than what, you know, we were seeing pitched as ways to bring more money into the national park system.
3: It's interesting. I don't want to go off on a, on a whole tangent about this, although I do love her idea of not charging for the national parks. Uh, Elizabeth Warren seems to be the candidate who will make the argument, we have the money to pay for this stuff. We can do this. Bernie Sanders does this as well. Yeah. Um, and then this gets to, you know, the wealth tax and all of that. Yeah. But they they say, we can do these big ideas. We have the money. We just actually have to, you know,
0: and that's exactly what she says in her plan. In her plan, she says the taxpayers are already funding the management of these right, parks, right? So why are they, in addition, paying to get into them too? I
3: look, I, I, I think it's great, and I, I, again, I don't want to spend a whole segment talking about it. I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, in terms of uh, energy and environment, have any other uh, candidates put out any other, like, big ideas on that front? I mean, it, we talked about Inslee. Sure. Um,
0: but- I wouldn't say that any of them have put out big policy yeah. initiatives yet. But most every single, uh, every single Democrat senator who's running for candidate in 2020, and there's a lot of them, they have all come out and say that they're in support of the Green New Deal. So they have all in their some way said that they they support climate change initiatives. They support the idea or the concept of this Green New Deal, which is this, you know, progressive leaning idea of bringing. 100% 100%, uh, 100% renewable energy to the US electric grid in 10 years and it, by doing so you would ramp up jobs in the clean energy sector. Yeah. And so a lot of them have always support that way. They haven't necessarily come out with their own plans on how they will do that, but it's a big shift from, you know, uh, we, the candidates that we've seen in the past who have kind of nodded to, yes, yes, of course, climate change is important to us versus now realizing that climate change is 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 a it's a dire situation if you look at the science. I mean, we only have about 12 years to to change the way that the emissions and kind of stop them completely but looking to their base young voters really care about this issue and that's that untapped group of voters that every candidate is always looking to get to grab
3: on the young voters thing it's really interesting uh i'm of a certain age i remember coming up uh When I was working, uh, covering politics and working in political journalism, uh, which I did from a very, very young age, uh, young people don't vote. That's what I've always been told. Young people don't vote. Uh, And this goes all the way back to, you know, uh, 1998 or whatever, 1996. Young people don't vote. I think that's changed a lot. I really do.
0: I think especially with this issue, considering that the Green New Deal is such a youth driven initiative, you are starting to see a lot more people come out. And this might be the single issue that they are the single issue voters. on. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see, you know, folks from the Sunrise Movement, which was the the youth uh, driven group that kind of came up with this idea that then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez grabbed onto and pushed in Congress. I mean, their whole idea is they want to get young people around the world, around the around the country, to kind of come out and make this the issue that they care enough to register to vote and vote for. Yeah. And they want to make sure it's a litmus test for any Democratic candidate who wants their vote too.
1: So,
3: I, you know, I think that part of the problem with climate change, right, is like, I'm not seeing it happen, therefore it doesn't exist. This next generation, they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna boil in the ocean. And you know, get I mean they, they, they see it, they're watching it happen, right? right? Like we did not necessarily do that when I was going up growing up, but like these kids are seeing it now.
0: Exactly. and I think these
3: superstorms and the droughts, the and fires, all the, the fires. Yep. all these things are all a direct correlation come back to climate change and
0: it's hitting some states that are pretty red states right i mean florida is one of the states that's first starting to see it military institutions military bases are coming out and saying they're seeing the effects of flooding on navy bases and so this is not a political topic climate change kind of affects yeah you know everyone
3: we, we think of louisiana we think of the little boot right it looks like a little boot right it's it doesn't look like that by the way it used to It doesn't look like that. The reason it looked like a little boot is you had all these weird sort of barrier islands down there, uh, you know, in the lowlands and the swamp area. They're gone now. It looks like half of a boot. It's it's, it's not an exaggeration. Like, what you think of when you think of Louisiana does not exist. Part of it is underwater. That's happening right now. Now, understandably, these are very rural areas. You don't hear that story reported very often, but that's what's happening. That is what's happening in Louisiana right now. Yeah. Um. So uh, let let's talk a little bit about. Uh. This isn't so much. Um. Well. It, it, I mean. It, let, let's talk about the Green New Deal. Sure. Let's just talk about it, which is a very big, all-encompassing, uh, topic that gets thrown around a lot. Uh. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I think we can call this her signature, uh, initiative. Sure. Um. I want to play a clip of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you probably know the clip that I'm going to play on uh, 60 Minutes. This was over the weekend. Leslie Stahl asks her the question about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the progressive wing of the party. Here's Nancy Pelosi and Leslie
1: Stahl.
2: You have these wings, AOC and And her group on one side. Uh, It's like five people. No, it's the progressive group. It's more than
1: five. I'm a progressive.
3: Yeah, it's like five people. It's like five people. And then she says, oh, I'm a progressive. So, like, how is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going to work this Green New Deal into actual legislation when it looks like she has not just an uphill battle and, you know, having Donald Trump sign it, but it's not being super well received by Nancy Pelosi.
0: No, it, you know, it's pretty interesting having covered the topic because Democrats, uh, the Democratic leadership doesn't want to come straight out and say that there's tension. But clearly, listening to, you know, that interview and previous remarks that Pelosi has made, this the idea of the Green New Deal has never been well received by leadership ranks in the Democratic Party on the House side. Uh, you know, Pelosi wanted to kind of come at it her own way. She yeah. created her own climate crisis caucus, they've introduced their own bill, which aims to make the United States kind of connect to the U.S. Uh, the Paris Climate Agreement. They're not interested in the Green New Deal because to them it's just too out there. Um, it's unachievable. These are words that you kind of hear, it's aspirational. What Ocasio-Cortez now that we are, you know, after they've gotten almost 200 lawmakers to sign on to this resolution, her group is now kind of stepping back and trying to find ways that they can break it out into smaller yeah. legislation. Yeah. Yet to be seen how, again, Democratic leadership approaches that, and if they will, you know, consider that legitimate legislation in a way that they've kind of shrugged off the Green New Deal, that's likely not going to come until next year. So we have some waiting. The
3: Green Dream or whatever. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um,
3: Look, it's not a knock against Nancy Pelosi. She clearly knows what she's doing. She has, uh, as I've said, broken the hearts of progressives many, many, many times. Uh, But this really is a moment, I think, where you look at this bureaucratic way of getting legislation done versus, this is a big idea, we will accept nothing less, we're going to get this done. And, you know, I've said from the get-go, I think that one of the flaws in the Green New Deal is that they should be pitching it as like an infrastructure plan. Mm -hmm. Because more than anything, it's a complete overhaul of our infrastructure,
0: Sure. And, you know, one of the other flaws with a big package like this is you always have to question, maybe you can get it past the House, but can you get it past the Senate? Can you get it to the president's desk? Will he sign it? And so we're starting to see that kind of back and forth with lawmakers and the House side questioning what they want to do next, because they all want to act quickly on climate change. They know that climate change is a dire situation. They acknowledge that they want, you know, their constituents to see that they're not just Uh, saying, you know, words, but they actually are bringing up bills. But the question is, do they double down on something big like this, something comprehensive like this that kind of changes the U.S. economy and hope that they can hold on to it by 2020 when they get control of potentially the Senate, the presidency? Or do they start to try to pass small bills now that are not as comprehensive, probably don't do as much overall and I'm sure we'll get a lot of criticism from the, the left.
3: Yeah. And, and also, we'll just won't become law. I mean, Donald Trump will absolutely shoot down any of this stuff. Uh, I mean, I don't want to draw the comparison between, you know, like the health care fight that Republicans waged when Obama was president. Sure. But like they firmly believed that Obamacare should be repealed in the House. Uh, and they did it. Fifty something, sixty something times. I, I've lost. I mean, who 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 really needs to keep track after you? You know, but um, it never happened. Never. It never happened. It's the same thing. Donald Trump is going to shoot it down. I think. Look, you have this Green New Deal. You stand by it. You could tweak it and fix some of the some of the problems in it. But you know, eventually, you're going to get power back.
0: Yeah, and of course, it's a recognizable name too. I mean, it went from being yeah. this idea from a youth led group that nobody had heard about to being championed by a relatively unknown member of Congress who was just coming into Congress to now being something that, you know, most 2020 presidential hopefuls have all gotten behind in some way. Yeah. And, you know, the, you ask most people in America what the Green New Deal is, they might not be able to give you a complete rundown, but they've probably heard of it.
3: Yeah. Um, so I want to I ask you about something else you've been writing about that it feels like it's been decades since we've talked about, the— uh, uh, Keystone Pipeline and the pipelines in general. Donald Trump recently uh, moved to to speed up uh, pipeline construction around the country. Um, I want to get into some of the details of that, but the Keystone Pipeline, which I think was sort of a a, a, a symbol for both parties, it's it ha- and Democrats said if this leaks, it would be bad. It has leaked, right? Like a couple of times.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty its pretty well known that this kind of infrastructure has a high possibility of leaking into groundwater. Yeah. Which states are arguing, and that's kind of what held up the pipeline in this situation, that they have... The authority to determine, you know, if it's environmental hazard within their own borders under, you know, a specific law, and so that's kind of the main tenant for that held up this pipeline's construction uh, by a judge back at last winter. And so what Trump is doing here, what he just did is he basically rescinded a past permit. It was the original permit to start the construction of this pipeline, and he is creating a new one. And a new one has different aims and comes through different places that he's arguing is not open to the same environmental review, which is basically what kept these judges, what made them keep the pipeline's construction from going forward.
3: It's just, you know, this disturbs me to no end because whatever happens with the pipeline, okay, whatever. But it's also this idea that regulation is horrible and oversight is horrible. I mean, we know how that story ends. And you know that, there's, that like, there are plenty of accusations of over-regulation and all that. I hear that, and I'm sure that's the case in some. But, like, it's important that we go through a process to get these things built, right? Like, the Keystone Pipeline has spilled, uh... These pipelines do spill. It's in their nature. This is what they do. Uh, And it's it's terrible.
0: But what's interesting, too, is it's not just about the pipeline's construction. He also signed two executive orders last week, which would kind of make pipeline oil transportation easier. So one of the things he also wants to do is expand the ability to transport natural gas on trains, which currently you can't do and so again it's that Why question can't you of, just,
3: just 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 satisfy my curiosity it's Why a, can't you it's do a it?
0: security concern and oh. the way that it's currently listed uh you know it, it can't be transported and what his executive order would do is he would make his agencies change the definition so that it no longer is off the list and it can be considered so it's a, a bad item. idea <laughs> and we've seen these things happen right we've seen Instances of train cars tipping over, catching on fire. There was a deadly instance that happened to Canada years back. We see uh, this happen, and then one of the things that states always argue about this is that they have no idea what's coming through on these trains right. because it's also a security concern to give them a heads up. So these trains can be coming through schoolyards. These trains can be coming by churches. Um, if if this topples over, not only is it a, a pollution hazard, but it's it is a risk, you know, for for public health and safety.
3: Um, have any democratic lawmakers push back on, I mean,, it's an executive order, so it's not like it's gonna be debated or anything, but if they push back on this?
0: There were definitely lots of members of Congress who were against this idea. Um, I think that they were really hoping that the court orders would hold it up for as long as possible. and yeah. this kind of just restarting from from ground zero is, is is something that I don't think they were expecting. Um, but it's already been challenged once. There's already been one lawsuit that's ar- that's at least been filed, and I imagine, there will be a couple other that will follow suit. So this is not an issue that we're not going to start seeing construction on this tomorrow.
3: Have we seen any of the presidential candidates weigh in on this? I, can't. I haven't seen any. I
0: don't think I've. I don't. Uh, I'm this, not sure. This is a I story.
3: Think. I mean, I'm happy you wrote about it, but this is a story that did not get a ton of coverage. And when you think about what the Keystone Pipeline was to progressives uh, under um, when it was you know being kicked around under Obama. Yep. I mean, people went to jail. uh, People were camping out there. People were occupying the land where, uh, so they couldn't build it. And to think that now it's just like.
0: Yeah. And and not only was it it was the Keystone pipeline, then it was he had this major rally where he mentioned these new executive orders. So right. it's, it's just all kind of showing that the, the Trump administration is firming up its energy independence agenda, which is to increase drilling, increase uh, expansion of that. And when we have someone like Elizabeth Warren, who has a plan all about a moratorium on drilling, it is kind of interesting that she wouldn't have come out and spoken a little bit more strongly about her, yeah. you know being against this.
3: Uh, Miranda Green from The Hill. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. She's Dynamite. Follow her on Twitter at Miranda C. Green. Uh, Lots of great work uh, by her up at TheHillTheHill.com. Coming up next, we'll be talking to Olivia Nutzi about Mayor Pete. She has a big profile on him and whether or not he is the future of the Democratic Party. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This
1: is the Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
3: It is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, just want to remind you, you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, you can also check out our chat room uh, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We are streaming live video there. Um and we have our chat room there so we can uh we can hear uh, all of the great comments you have for us there uh okay so a couple of comments from twitter first um john says unmute me censorship is not cool you know you're not muted man come on relax everybody relax Uh, North Texas Progressive says, okay, I'm here with a bright, shining face. Glad to see Peter Ogburn in the big chair. Oh, no, thank you. That's just too kind. That's just too kind. Um, Some people are not happy with Nancy Pelosi, uh, and I get that. You can always comment at BP Show. Also, on Bernie Sanders, uh, who had his big town hall with Fox News last night, Uh, TTIWCO on Twitter sketchy, says, Peter, I grew up 13 miles from Bethlehem, which is in the Lehigh Valley. My father worked in a steel foundry. My mother worked in a clothing mill and now lives in Bethlehem. These are working class people. I was a Bernie supporter in 2016 and now again in 2020. I am a Democrat my entire life after 2016 i registered as a democrat but i consider myself an independent the democratic party abandoned the working class bernie's message resonates we will not vote for centrist dems they are fine with the status quo we are not so like i get that i get that there is uh, a real hunger uh, for someone like bernie sanders to throw these big ideas out and stand up for them and and fight for them which he did at a Fox News town hall last night. I played the audio. Uh, We won't go through it again. But if you didn't catch it, it's online. You could go watch the whole thing. I encourage you to do it. Uh, it, it, It's really great. And you get to see a Democratic candidate take their ideas uh, to a hostile audience and watch them become receptive just like that. They loved what he had to say. Also, uh, I, I had to read this story. It's near and dear uh, to my heart. Uh, in the Daily Mail, uh, they reported that they did a uh, study. The Switzerland's Hirslanden Clinic says that men who have beards carry more germs than dogs. Oh, no. Now, come on now. I don't think that's necessary. The study says that men who have beards carry more germs than dogs. Now, that that I'm going to go ahead and take that personally. They say that there's deadly bacteria in their beards. I don't have any deadly bacteria in my beard. By the way, I have my beard balm that I put in. It's a thing. I got it in my birch box. I got my beard balm. There's no deadly bacteria in there. I just, I, this is my bag that says not pot. There's definitely pot in there, by the way. I just opened it up and smelled it. I forgot I had pot in there. <laughs> That's a big whoops. Uh, anyway, uh, Olivia Nuzzi is in studio with us. Olivia, how are you? I feel like I just walked in on the Alex Jones show. Folks! <laughs> Folks! I, got my p- I take my pills every morning. I get my new tropics, I take my pills in the morning. <laughs> what is happening in here? I was reading a story that said that men who have beards carry more germs than dogs. And I, I, I was offended.
5: Dogs are
3: very clean. Dogs are very clean. It's high standard. I'm also very it's clean. High standard. It's I'm high standard. also very, very clean. Okay, I want to talk to you all about your story uh, about Mayor Pete in just a moment. We're going to take a very, very quick break. We'll be right back.
2: This is the Bill Press Show.
1: <laughs>
3: All right, hey, we're back. We're back on the Bill Press Show. Uh, my name is Peter Ackward, sitting in for Bill Press today with Olivia Nuzzi, uh genuinely one of my favorite people. Um She is the Washington correspondent for the New York Ma- for New York Magazine. She also brought me a treat. Tell me what you brought me.
5: I brought you um, a uh, peanut butter cup.
3: I love peanut butter cups. That I
5: hope tastes like Mexican hot chocolate slash a peanut butter cup.
3: I'm going to eat this, and I'm going to give you a real-time reaction. Okay. Uh, I just sh-
5: want everyone to know that you're the first person to taste this. Nobody has tasted this yet? No. All
3: right, I'm going take a bite. I'm going to take right. a bite. Yeah.
5: It's also inedible. I hope that's okay. Oh,
3: yeah, really? <laughs> no. Oh, perfect. It's delicious.
5: Are you sure? I'm positive. You won't hurt my feelings. It's okay. It's delicious. All right. Does it taste
3: like? I love peanut butter. I should have maybe not eaten a giant mouthful of peanut butter when I'm on the air. (laughs) It's ASMR. Is ASMR? That's a thing, right? Yeah.
4: Do
3: You know about this? These people that they make these noises into the microphone and they talk like this. They do like scratch. Have you seen this ASMR videos? No. I'm too old for it, but I've seen it. Genuinely delicious.
5: Really.
3: Genuinely delicious. Thank you. The right amount of spice. Not too spicy. I have a mouthful thank of peanut butter. You. I regret that decision. <laughs> I'm going to drink some water. Hang on. Am
5: I now the host by default? Mm-hmm. You're
3: going to have to carry me through the rest of the segment. <laughs> um, no, it's delicious. It's wonderful. I I, I <laughs> can't wait to you. eat the rest of it.
5: Thank you for being my taste tester. Not
3: on air. Okay. If for whatever reason I, you know, don't make it through the rest of the segment, it was because of this. Okay. It's so good Could to see part you. part of my
5: plan to be the host of the Bill Press Show. You've taken over. <laughs>
3: uh, it's so good to see you. Nice to
1: see you. It's been too long since you've been on the
3: show. Um, but you had a really great piece. Thank you. About Mayor Pete. Pete Buttigieg. Who has sat in that very chair, by the way. Wow. Yeah, we had him in studio. Um, so You wrote a whole big piece about uh, Pete Buttigieg, who I think it's safe to say is having a moment.
5: Yeah.
3: Um. I don't even know where to start with you. I, I, I first off, I, I want to say, like, is this moment real or is this sort of like a? I heard someone compare it to like a Herman Cain moment. Like, let us not forget that Herman Cain led mm-hmm. the polls um, yeah. in, uh, in 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 twenty twelve, and everyone thought for a second, oh wow, this is the future of the Republican Party. Herman Cain's going to be president. In and some it was, ways, maybe we were all right. <laughs> maybe actually, <laughs> like in retrospect, maybe. Uh, but he fizzled out and he went away. And I, I kind of get that impression that that might happen with Buttigieg, but I don't yeah, know.
5: I don't know. I mean, I can't think of a recent example of a Democratic primary field that you can compare the current one to. Um, yeah. But you can look at it and say there are so many people. Uh, maybe all of them will have a moment. And it yeah. will be like 2012 in that way. We'll have our Michelle Bachman and our Tim Pawlenty. Did he run in that race? And I think so. John Huntsman and you know, everybody had a moment. Everyone had a moment. I and, do remember that. Yeah, and it was different than the uh, the most recent Republican primary in that sense, right? Where Trump was just leading all the way through, and everyone was in denial. Yeah. Um. So it could be like that, but I have no idea what's going to happen. I barely have any idea what's going on. So. <laughs> um, but he is having a moment. I don't know, part of me thinks it's just a media creation that I'm, you know, part of I'm part of one of the people perpetuating it now. We had him
3: on the show, so we're just as guilty.
5: Yeah. Um and when you look at the polling as they say in the piece, I mean, Biden and and Bernie are leading the polls yeah. by a long mile. Um so he's kind <laughs> of firmly in the second tier with like Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala and by the
3: way, this is a little bit of a tangent. I, I watched the Bernie Town Hall on Fox News last night. There was a very interesting question about like how well he's doing. And he goes, uh, polls uh, uh, don't matter. Uh, uh, I'm on top today. Uh, tomorrow I'll be in 18th place. Who knows? That's,
1: That's good. It's pretty good, That's right? good, yeah. I've been working on my Bernie for a <laughs> couple
3: of years now, I'm going to be honest. I got like two impressions that people know if they watch the show. I do Bernie. I do Alex Jones. That's about <laughs> it. That's about it. Uh, but, like, Bernie's never been in 18th place. Like, Bernie came out, right. you know. I mean, Buttigieg started out in 18th, 18, 18, like maybe, whatever, 18th place, and, and, mm-hmm. and now he's, he's sort of having yeah, a moment. Yeah,
5: I mean, I think that's why he's having a moment, right? It's because yeah. nobody thought that the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, would be having a moment.
3: Okay, so that actually leads to the next thing I want to ask you mm-hmm. about. What impact does his record as the mayor of South Bend, Indiana have which, by the way, you could steal that. South Indiana, you save time. MTV, <laughs> my time is valuable. Um, you know, he's been playing small ball for a right. while. And so, like, what impact has that had on his, shall we call it, a meteoric rise? I mean,
5: maybe I've bought into the the Mayor Pete spin, but, like, I am sympathetic to the idea that as somebody in charge of a small city of 100,000 people, he probably has more uh, decision making authority and more executive experience than, like, any random senator or member of Congress who, sure. God knows what they do all day. They just kind of sit around and, I don't know, Go they watch C-SPAN. What do they do? They don't do anything. <laughs> they're not, like, right. legislating. Um, and they're not in charge of, you know, uh, swaths of, of humanity that large. And so I am sympathetic to that spin from Mayor Pete. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's something to that. There is. Um, if you've
3: ever spent any time around someone who's been in the Senate for more than— Two terms, mm-hmm. you realize that their brain is completely broken. Yeah, no offense, by the way. Please keep coming on the show. We love all of you.
5: Uh, that won't stop them. They're all no.
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, chewing psychopaths. They'll be back.
5: Um, but you know, when you look at his, re- when you look at his record,
3: <laughs> sorry, sorry.
5: <laughs> when you look at his record, I, I mean, he's kind of this. I see technocrat who came in like Jade yeah, is gonna fix everything and he's got a sewer sensor system and he wanted to destroy uh or rebuild but mostly destroy a thousand homes that were not up to code or were collapsing. Um and most of that was in mostly minority neighborhoods, right? And there's you know, there are mixed reviews if you there was a really good piece in BuzzFeed, I think. Uh, interviewing people, you know, in South Bend about the effects of that policy. And even he has been kind of frank about, you know, he's not sure that they've, you know, done a great job with some of the empty lots that have resulted from that policy. Um, But a lot of it's very, it's hyper-local stuff, right? So I guess the question is, how much will that be able to puncture through in a national conversation? Right. Right? Are you going to have, like, Chris Wallace or Jake Tapper being like, no, the sewer system. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Let's talk about that. I don't know.
3: You know, this... It, it, it re- I think after 2016, so many people have been talking about issues, 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 mm-hmm. right? Making your case to the voters. And I think that's important. I think Bernie Sanders has like a list of issues that he's been uh, consistent about for his entire career. Elizabeth Warren, kind of the same thing. And with, with uh, Buttigieg, I think it really just comes down to one thing. He's a pretty likable guy. I don't know what his issues are necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 not inclined to vote for the guy or anything like that. But, like, I talk to a lot of people who follow politics. You know, they're not, you know, completely out of the loop. And they're just like, I just really like him. And I don't know. I I don't know if that's enough to get you to the White House. I think this is a time that we are really actually examining people's uh, platforms more closely than usual. Mm -hmm. Especially when you have so many Democratic candidates. And I just can't figure out what exactly it is that sets him apart, other than like he is probably the the least like Donald Trump of any person that you could possibly have.
5: I mean, I would argue like Kamala Harris is probably the least like Trump on just you know on a surface level. On a surface level, okay, yeah, I get that. I mean, there none of them are well, I guess. I mean, Pete (laughs) Buttigieg, yeah, no, yeah, of course, no,
3: I I think they're cut from a very similar.
5: I mean, he. His whole thing is sort of like he claims that he is specific and on on certain things he is like he talks with great specificity about um, the Supreme Court. Uh, and what he wants to do, he wants to turn, I think it's 16 or 15, I should know this, I just profiled him. Uh, he wants it to be 16 or 15 members, and he wants it to be the nine, basically, elect uh, by unanimous vote, uh, the other uh, six of them. And he thinks that will make it less partisan. I don't know yeah. if that's true, and you know. like God knows if anything like that could ever happen, probably not. Right. Um, and he wants to get rid of the Electoral College, but then he kind of just talks generally about, you. you get the idea, he cares a lot about climate change. You know, you get the idea he cares about uh, a number of things, but you don't get any policy papers from him the way you do with Warren. But at the same time, I was thinking about this a lot while I was doing this piece, and I didn't have very much time to do it. Um, I don't know if you could tell when you read no, it. No, it's a great piece. No, it's a wonderful piece. <laughs> hey, thank you. It's a but piece. he, uh, you know, most presidents, they delegate policy, right? Like, yeah. it's not like Barack Obama was sitting around... Writing up policy papers himself—that's pretty unusual, and right. it's not typically the job of a president to do that. Um, and so, I think I think some of the, you know, well, why aren't we taking Warren as seriously as Pete uh, when she's writing a policy paper a day? Conversation is not totally fair um, because I don't think that's ever been the standard by which we judge a candidate, and I don't know that it should be. I mean, that is that how policy is made. Because there are a lot of papers suggesting right. things. I don't. I don't think so.
3: Well, I mean, look, I, I, um, people are gonna get mad at me for saying this, right? But like, yeah, Hillary- people are always mad at me. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> people are always very extremely mad online. Um, Hillary Clinton had a lot of white papers. She had a lot of policy positions.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: She didn't sell them very well.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Well, that's his whole thing, right? It's like. We have to talk about values, right? Which is like a word that's been monopolized by the yeah. right for a very long time now, probably since like you know the Reagan years at least. Um, and I think what he means by that is if you don't really present a vision as superficial as that may seem yeah. for you know what a what America would look like with you in charge, then. What does it matter what your policies are? Because nobody really cares.
3: I will give uh, Pete Buttigieg credit for this fight that he has picked with the vice president. Uh, because it's really interesting. Democrats, I'm not a religious person. I grew up uh, very religious. Um, I, I You could say I swung in the completely opposite direction once I uh, reached a certain age. Uh, You're but, saying Satanist now, right? Yeah. I, I actually <laughs> am a card-carrying member of the Church of Satan. Great uh but uh this this idea that democrats uh they they've never been able to talk about religion very well they certainly haven't been able to co-opt it the way that the republican party mm-hmm. has and it's just kind of fascinating to watch Buttigieg judge just really school mike pence whose entire life is guided mm-hmm. by his religion
5: yeah i mean i think i think it's very savvy and he's been, you know, so many of these lines now that uh, we're all getting acquainted with, he's been kind of workshopping on the national stage but just nobody's been listening to him for the last yeah, couple months, right. like most of the stuff like the Mike Pence line that he said in that speech at the Victory Fund, uh last weekend in, in Washington
3: Last weekend um, five years ago <laughs> Yeah,
5: um, He's been saying that he said it on like Colbert, but just nobody was listening back in February um, and I think it's very effective it's, it's artfully crafted and he He's being very careful. Even the things that he says that seem spontaneous, uh, he's probably said it before and has been workshopping it on the trail, which is smart. And I think he knows exactly what he's doing with Pence. And I know that Pence's staff has no idea what to do; it's the bane of their existence. Um, and I think
3: that's fascinating. Yeah, because it it, it illustrates a lot of these hypocritical—I'll say it—hypocritical Republicans. When you call them out on on their BS. Mm-hmm. They don't have a whole lot of places to go, right?
5: And just for your listeners, I think the line is—I'm uh, paraphrasing—but it's if Mike Pence has a problem uh, with the way that he is, and it's a problem way above his pay. G- yeah, it's a problem way above his pay grade. Yeah. And uh, if he should take it up with his creator, not with him. And Mike Pence, to that, re- finally responded uh, and said, you know. Uh, that he sh- he knows better. I'm paraphrasing, but he knows better than to criticize his faith, which is not quite what he was doing.
3: No, not right? at all. But that's that. That's how <laughs> exactly. they react. Yeah, that's that- how they react. Uh, I I just you know. But
5: I think it's very savvy. It's also a way for him to fight with the administration and kind of juxtapose what he's selling with you know what the administration is selling without attacking Trump and having Trump attack him. Because I right. think if that were to happen early. Who knows what would happen. We might get sick of Pete Buttigieg, but we don't talk that much about Pence nationally, the way that we talk about Trump. And I think it's a very clever way yeah. to set himself apart.
3: It's just, for me, watching a Democrat go up there and uh, embrace their view of religion mm-hmm. is not something that I'm used to seeing. Uh, even Barack Obama, who, who was a religious guy, mm-hmm. he would go to church. He didn't talk about religion much mm-hmm. at all. And you just watched the uh, uh, conservatives use it as, like, a wedge issue. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's been this interesting movement towards progressive religion in recent years, right? Like, among any number of topics, right, whether it's the border or the uh, wealth inequality or all that, like, you're seeing some Democrats use religion as an argument to fix those problems.
5: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I I talked to him a lot about this, and it didn't really make it into the piece because um, we were constrained uh, with space. But this is the stuff he, I really <laughs> want to talk about. Something didn't make it. But I know it's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor on this one. But that's uh, good though. That's good. I like that. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, it's interesting. He his father. Um, was going to school, I think, to be a priest, and then something happened in the sixties, <laughs> and oh, yeah. and he ended up not doing that, and and meeting his mother. And his mother uh, was religious, but his father, he grew up without him being religious. His father actually died recently, which I, I think is fascinating to be mm. grieving while doing something yeah, uh, like this. By um, the way, you
3: know, you know who else uh, was in the cemetery, in the seminary in the sixties? <laughs> sorry, in the seminary in the sixties, and they got out of it. Bill Press. Oh. Bill Press went to seminary for like years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, he just like became a California gigolo.
5: Fascinating. <laughs> um, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Bill was a, <laughs> was a
3: seminarian for many, many years.
5: Interesting.
3: And then again, swung the complete opposite direction.
5: <laughs> well, it sounds like that's what happened with, uh, with Mr. Buttigieg. Yeah. And, uh, he, and then uh, Pete Buttigieg, he went to Catholic school uh, growing up, but he did not become religious himself, he says, until he went to Oxford and uh, started you know, gravitating towards the church as he was studying philosophy. And the way he talks about it is very interesting. I don't, you know, I'm agnostic. I grew up Catholic. I don't find it alienating the way he talks about it. And even on Bill Maher, I remember watching him, and the audience didn't seem put off by it. And Bill Maher was kind of like, you're an intelligent guy. You know, like, what are you doing, basically? And his response was, I thought, really good. He was just like, I don't have all the answers to you. Yeah, right, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, Bill Maher, we get it. Right, and it
5: kind of shut Bill Maher up, though. Good. It was
3: interesting. Uh, That's hard to do. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that that alone might make make me vote for him. If he just said, like, I'll make Bill Maher (laughs) shut up, vote for me in 2020, I might come around (laughs) on Pete Buttigieg. I could very easily come around on Pete Buttigieg. Um, can you help answer a question that we had yesterday? Maybe. How tall is Peepu to judge?
5: Okay, this is also a question I have because I don't I just don't really believe that he they claim he's five nine. I
3: saw a picture of the two of you together. Right. I'm five eight. Uh-huh.
5: and I was wearing I think two point five inch platform. Okay. I Go think, ahead. but that doesn't mean that you're 2.5 inches taller. I, I understand. Okay. And as so, someone who wears
3: these <laughs> heels all the time, I understand. And I, quite well.
5: I think I look maybe but an inch taller than him in that photo. You're bigger. You're yeah. taller than him. Yeah. You are taller so than him. He's a
3: small person.
5: I mean, he's like a, I would say he's, you know, he's a grande. <laughs> and, and I look like a venti. Okay, in that, fair. In that picture. Yeah. Um, I thought he was like five seven, but they claim that he's five nine, and I I had a fight with the campaign about it, and I told one of the aides to go measure him, and they wouldn't.
3: This is like a classic <laughs> sports thing too. I know. Like you know they they'll either like undersell your height or oversell your height. Yeah. Like, yeah, he. Yeah, I
5: don't think he's five nine. I think maybe he's also five eight. That's possible. Okay, sure, maybe it's possible. I really don't think so, but it's possible. All right, but they wouldn't measure him for me. They claim okay. that they called him. The his spokeswoman said that she called him and and he confirmed that he's five nine. But in uh, New Hampshire, yeah, he's Houston,
3: five nine, and Donald Trump weighs two hundred thirty pounds or whatever they said he weighs. Okay.
5: In New Hampshire I was <laughs> I was certain that um, when we were photographing him at one of the stops uh, the campaign aide told a photographer that he was 57 when they asked because they needed to figure out you know how a shot would look before he got out there. but okay. I've been told that that was not correct. He's the only. Reason, 5'9".
3: The only reason I ask is because we elect tall people in America.
5: I, I always thought that and I guess I've just never bothered to Google it. but how tall is Jimmy Carter?
3: Oh, geez, I don't know. That's a he good can't, question. He can't be taller. McKenna's going to check it out right now, and she'll thank let us you. know. I don't thank think, you. think Jimmy Carter is that tall, actually. He
5: can't possibly be taller than, like, Rand Paul. I'll tell you,
3: one of the low lights of my life was when they had, uh, what was the the doctor uh, that, that did Trump's, um, uh, oh, wait, how tall is Jimmy Carter?
5: Five foot ten.
3: Five ten's not short. Oh. He's not, that's not tall. But I
5: wonder if he's actually five ten. That's a good point. You know, like Rand Paul's five foot eight. Rand Paul's five six, probably.
3: <laughs> right. You know? Right. What was the doctor, the the the, the White House doctor, the,
5: the Oh, Candyman? No. The guy that was
3: handing out all the drugs. The guy that came Randy? out.
5: Randy? Is his name Randy? Mm. Who am I thinking I'm on a first name
3: basis with the guy. I don't know. But the, he he's the one that did Trump physical <laughs> and then came out and said, Donald Trump is six foot three, 230 he's pounds. He's really tall. I, I know. Yeah. But. I'm six foot three, 230 pounds. Do I look like Trump? Oh no I'm just kidding
5: no. you definitely don't Aww. No you don't I'm just kidding. But the interesting thing about Trump though is when he's sitting down, he looks really small and then when he stands, yeah. but when he stands he's like this towering lampshade of a person.
3: I think Trump uh, uh, he always ties his ties really really long. That's a big guy move. That's like a, that's like a fat guy move. I know I know that move. I know that move. You tie your ties really, really long. They come, like, way below the belt What's line. What's it supposed to do? It makes your body look longer. Your torso look longer. It doesn't make you look as wide and big. Oh. I I know that. I, I invented that move.
5: But he, is, he looks big in person, but you don't really realize that he's, you know, he's probably, like, Chris Christie-like in... Heft, um, yeah, and you don't really realize that unless there's like a shot of him with the wind blowing his. I'm suit not shaming away. the guy. Uh, I he, am. He clearly. I'm just
3: kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he clearly knows how to dress around the problem.
5: He does. Yeah, he's very savvy. There's dresser. a there's a skill yeah. to that. Yeah, the kind of
3: billowing suits. By the way, it just point out. I'm six foot three, uh, uh, two thirty. Lot of muscle. Very <laughs> muscular. <laughs> Had arm day yesterday. Just say it. Donald Trump believes that there's a finite amount of energy. I know. In I the love body. this
5: theory. I, I also
3: believe that. Do you really? No. It's an amazing no, story. No, I'm just lazy. It's an amazing story. Well, that's a, <laughs> just, just an excuse for being yeah, lazy. I just that's don't fine. Work out. I just, just own it. Yeah, I like just... that. But he's like, the body has a finite amount of energy. Once you use it all up, folks, you die. You're dead.
5: <laughs> he really does believe it. It's one of his only beliefs. Like, he. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He thinks Diet Coke makes you fat. Yeah. And he drinks it, which is interesting. All the time. All the time. The but the button
3: you've been in the oval office have you seen the button you know i
5: i didn't notice the button when i was in there maybe that i'm a terrible reporter i was so frazzled though when i was or I was trying to not be frazzled you know yeah i get that i was like just sitting there and every second it was like the vice president's here the did anybody bring here. in one of the diet cokes i'm well, curious What happened know. to the new york times though right. that was in that story where it came in in a glass with ice in it so that's i that- want to know is it a fountain Thing situation, they or they opening cans. bottles, cans?
3: But it comes in, uh, in a cu- in a glass with ice, so he gets the, the, the gray lady on diamonds. That's what you used to call a Diet Coke on ice, gray lady on diamonds, because it comes with a gray can on, on ice, gray lady on diamonds.
5: I wonder if he knows that.
3: I'm sure he does, <laughs> of course, he does. <laughs> um, okay, so let, let, let's uh, let me ask you this because we're talking about Trump. Trump hasn't really said anything about most of the candidates. He's been pretty quiet about
5: it. I can't wait for him to try to pronounce Edge.
3: Oh, I hadn't even thought about that.
5: I mean, he'll probably just stick with some nickname Pete. for Pete, Mayor Pete. but Yeah.
3: He's going to say South Indiana. I'll take credit for that. <laughs> uh, Oranges. Yeah. Oh, we played that clip last week. And I he had like in one day. Oh, God. What was it that he did? He had the orange... He said oranges three times.
5: Now I can't say orange. I
3: know. Or, or, and, yeah, or, I know. I, he didn't say origins, and he said oranges. It was also the day that he said loud noises cause cancer about the the, the wind.
5: He hates wind turbines. Yeah. That's also birds, one of his... a
3: graveyard for
5: birds. It's one of his other beliefs, though, because I remember I did a story about this maybe in 2016, um, and he claimed... That uh wind turbines, the nickname for them is um wing bangers. <laughs>
3: no, they're not. And did he say did he say the <laughs> he word wing bangers?
5: Wing bangers because they kill so many birds. And I asked all these like anti-wing turbine activists, you know, have you ever heard this phrase? And they were all like, no. It's and someone was like, No, it's awfully clunky. It's a little <laughs>
3: clunky. Wing bangers! Uh,
5: nobody had heard the term. I couldn't find any trace of it on the internet. Nobody had ever said it before. As, I, as far as I could tell, before Donald Trump.
3: I mean, I don't hate the term. Wingbanger? Wingbanger. <laughs> wingbanger. Yeah, he's obsessed with the birds dying with the, the wind turbines.
5: I think he's obsessed with the fact that it was going to obstruct the view at one of his golf courses that uh, he was yes. building. Uh, um, yes. I don't think he cares about birds. But
3: So it, it, he, he hasn't commented about Mayor Pete. He hasn't commented about any of the. Uh, candidates really except born. for Elizabeth yeah. That's... Bernie
5: the last time he talked about Bernie was like back in February I think when Bernie got into the race
3: do you get any sense that there is a candidate he would prefer to face
5: I know that uh, they fear Biden yeah they think that Biden is you know the person with the greatest chance of, of beating him Um, I but I I, I used to know... think that
3: I mean, who knows? Of, I mean, who knows? I right? don't know anything, but part of me, it's like you look,
5: at, you look at the polling, and you know, I was told in 2016, that was the first election I covered, you defer to the experts on that. And at the time, everybody, I'm sure you remember, was like, oh, the poll's this early, they don't matter, um, people get serious. You know, Once it's time to vote, they'll change. And yeah. they just really never did. Trump was in the lead. Can I, can I just Trump. point out?
3: I said Donald Trump was going to win. In like September of 2015 or something wow. I knew I knew he was going to win I was sure of it
5: who was it it was that one guy on Twitter was it um like bro pair or crushing board one of those oh, accounts yeah, one of those who guys. tweeted in like 2012 oh it was Bro-Pair. do not yeah, yeah. Sullivan. yes do not laugh Fred Donald of the pod, Trump off. off yeah uh, yeah yeah I mean he predicted it
3: yeah I mean when you really think about it and you look at it it's like yeah of course of course Donald Trump is president. Yeah. Like, I totally get it.
5: Yeah. I mean, not uh, that I, I don't think they're, not saying there's anything positive about it, but I do think, I wonder if one of the lasting effects of the presidency will be like, we stop expecting presidents to be, you know, the great uniter of the people, somebody who's great in times of, you know, various in times of strife and yeah. who can bring people together. And also, you know, a brilliant leader and somebody who knows what to do in, in international crises. And,
3: I, uh, I, I kind of go back and forth on this, right. right? And and I think that there's a large part of the country that just wants to feel normal again, right? Like, whatever you think about Donald Trump right. or, or uh, whatever you thought about Barack Obama. Um, you
5: could forget about him for periods of time.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, it, he was. he did yeah. not occupy our headspace yeah. 24-7. Yeah. Uh, And so, like, I wonder if, like, people just want a boring candidate like that who's just going to get things done, cable Mm -hmm. news will continue to sort of try and make these different things, or if it's just like Donald Trump is the end of the American presidency.
5: I I mean, I think that that's what this election is about, right? Because I think one more term maybe it solidifies yeah. everything that he's doing to us and whether you have know, in a policy sense or just spiritually yeah. um but i think you know one term maybe can bounce back quicker i don't know
3: we'll know soon enough in another 18 years when the election <laughs> uh, happens in 2020 i know
5: it's so long from now Is it it's 19 so, months
3: it's so far away yeah it's so there's
5: so away. many candidates
3: so many uh, Olivia Nutzi, thank you so much for joining <laughs> on us note, thank uh, you. on that uplifting, wonderful note, uh, I'm going to eat the rest of this Mexican hot chocolate uh, spicy peanut butter cup that you made which is delicious thank you. Uh, and coming up next we'll be talking to White House reporter for Politico, Gabby Orr, uh, by the way, follow Olivia Nuzzi on Twitter, at Olivia Nutzi. she's the Washington correspondent for New York Magazine, thank you
2: so much for joining us
5: thank me. you for having me
2: Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show.
3: It is The Bill Press Show. Everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. Remember, we are live on Free Speech TV, also YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We also have our podcast up. I will remind you to go check it out. We put it up right after the show, and we take out the commercials. And if you are listening on one of our great radio stations, uh, for example, WCPT in Chicago, uh, we we do the like the first five minutes of every hour that don't get heard on your radio station. So those are in the podcast. So you can go check that out. Uh, lots of very interesting stuff uh, in the first five minutes of uh, uh, of this hour. What was it? That they, oh, I did the story about how they say uh, men with beards carry more germs than dogs. I'm gonna. Go ahead and take that personally. But I, I did say I, my, I I take care of my beard. I use a beard wash. I have the beard oil. I have the beard balm. It's a whole thing.
2: It's a whole thing. I think you're a select few.
3: You think so? I, you think yeah. a lot of people just let it turn into like a, a rat's nest?
2: It smells like that.
3: Whoa. Oh, so other people's, not mine. Oh,
2: yeah, no. I thought you were talking about mine.
4: <laughs> Whoa, no. I got very offended. I know. Okay. I, I saw that.
3: Good grief. Uh, well, we're not going to talk about that. But if you want to hear that stuff, it's on the podcast, which you could go get on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you anywhere you get your podcast, we have it up there for you. Uh, joining us now, uh, for, first trip to the show, uh, White House reporter for Politico, Gabby Or. Hi, Gabby. How are you?
4: I'm good. It's great to be here.
3: Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, it won't be your last. I'm sure it won't be your last. <laughs> I, hope not. I didn't mean to hold that over your head like it was some sort of a <laughs>
4: threat. Pressure's on. No,
3: I didn't mean it like that. I just meant hopefully we'll 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 get you in more. Okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Um, so you have, uh, uh, the reason I reached out to you, uh, to come on the show is you had a very, very, uh, interesting piece all about Donald Trump's, uh, hidden life on the golf course, which you wrote with, uh, another friend of the show, Daniel Lipman, uh, all about Donald Trump and, and golf. Now, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama was president and people would freak out because he would go play golf.
4: Including Donald Trump.
3: Including Donald Trump. (laughs) People would freak out about uh, how much golf Barack Obama played. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump plays more golf than Barack Obama.
4: It's pretty comparable. Uh, if you look at the numbers, I think they've he has not yet surpassed uh, what Obama played, but that's over eight years. I was to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the president has, you know, been in office for a little over two years now, so um, he's he's getting up there. He's getting close to uh, Obama's record, and you know he. He criticized Obama pretty frequently out on the campaign trail in 2016, and often told voters that he wouldn't have time to golf <coughs> when he was in office because um, he he would be so busy, you know, running the country. Yeah. And obviously, that's not turned out to be the case. He golfs pretty much every weekend.
3: It's um, a lot of golf. It's a lot of golf. It's a lot of golf. Um, I will give Donald Trump credit uh, on, on this, or f- for this with with golf. Uh, it's something that Barack Obama did not do. Um, I'm not a huge golfer anymore. I used to be, for the record. I used to win tournaments when I was a kid. Uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, but I don't play. I don't play that much anymore. Um, uh, but I do know that the golf course is where a lot of business gets done. Uh, not just politically, but you know, in the rest of the world. You- go out and you, you make business deals on the golf course, you, you, you talk shop, things like that. Donald Trump seems to do that. He seems to understand that. Barack Obama never really did.
4: Yeah, Obama had you know his few close friends who he'd hit the links with, and that was pretty much it. There was no purpose outside of just wanting to play around a golf. The president now likes to get lawmakers out there, people who he normally wouldn't interact with. He'll get them out on the course. Lindsey Graham's a great example. If yeah. He, you read this story. Uh, there's a senior administration official who who pointed out that you know the the 2016 campaign didn't end well for Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham. Uh, Trump telegraphed his personal phone number on stage at a rally. It was just a very tense relationship.
3: Lindsey Graham. <laughs> it, it
4: was pretty brutal, and they got out um, to I think it was Trump Northern Virginia golf course for the first time early on in his presidency, and they have become the best of pals ever since through the game of golf. And it's not just Lindsey Graham. I mean, he's played with diplomats. He's played with um, the Japanese prime minister, the Chinese president. He likes to hit the links with anybody and everybody. And when he's out there, he's a pretty funny guy, I'm told.
3: OK. So uh, I, I want to get into that. But before we do it, so, so he does sort of use it. I think the opening part of the of the story that you and, and, and Littman wrote was about Bob Corker. Right. Who was a notorious critic of the president? Mm-hmm. Um, and they tried to sort of have a peace meeting, and and fix their problems on the golf course. Uh, my question about that is, is: is number one, did it work?
4: <laughs> Temporarily. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. like a modern day duel. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Corker's Corker's team sensed that there was a great deal of tension between his him and. The president they reached out they said why don't we get them together for a round of golf um so the president took him out to his course in virginia along with uh the son of rudy giuliani andrew giuliani who if you recall you know back in the early 2000s got to duke on a golf scholarship yeah. and then there was this whole controversy but he's still a pretty good golfer um and then peyton manning was there as well so this foursome hits the links and you know trump's joking around. He's having a good time with Bob Corker. At one point, uh Giuliani chips the ball and it hits Corker in the neck
3: and Oh my god.
4: Trump turns around. He's like, "You know, it's a damn good thing you did that to to him and not to me because you'd have two in the chest from the Secret Service agents out here." And ah! that that kind of captures what Trump is like on the course. He's like telling jokes, telling stories. People love to golf with him and they say that his persona out on a golf course is just totally different from what you see publicly.
3: I think that's so interesting. I, I've played golf with people who I don't like, mm-hmm. and they're very pleasant to play golf with. Like, it, and so my, I, I guess, it, does he actually? Because I don't think of Donald Trump as a guy who relaxes, right? You know, like yeah. even when he's on vacation yeah. doing the downtime, like he's still a, he's still what we think Donald Trump is. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And I don't know that I've ever seen him unwind. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on the golf course, apparently he does. This
4: is where he zens out. I mean, he he likes to be out there. Um, his team will oftentimes sort of hide who he's golfing with or if he's even playing golf from yeah. us reporters. And I pressed a couple of people from the White House on that, you know, why do you guys, why are you so secretive about this? And they said that this is really his one time that he gets to relax, you know, every weekend or every other weekend, and we just don't want the press in the middle of it. I was like, well, that's fair to some extent, sure. but it would be great to know, you know, if he's out there hitting the links with well, just confirm it. Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 you know where we stand on politics on this show? We're fairly progressive, but, uh, you know, I'm one of those people... I didn't give George W. Bush a ton of grief when he was out clearing brush mm-hmm. uh, at, at his ranch. And I'm not going to give Donald Trump a ton of grief for playing golf as often as he does. I believe whoever the president is uh, needs to unwind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I need is a, the president of the United stressed States out. <laughs> to be just absolutely stressed yeah. out all the time. Right. I don't need that. I don't need that. So whatever it is that, that gets you to sort of uncork a little bit. That's fine.
4: And you know, the Go other do it. the other thing is a lot of people compared this to a, a second form of executive time. So that's those those hours during the day where we know the president is sometimes making calls, but most of the time he's sitting there watching TV in yeah. his residence or at the White House um and, and tweeting. I mean, we all yeah. know what happens when the president tunes into cable news. And so if he wants to spend half of that executive time out on the golf course where he's not tweeting, um, which is a detail that I picked up during this. I, there has never been a moment where the president has tweeted from a golf course. Uh, by all means, I want that him to alone, golf more.
3: That, yeah, that alone <laughs> should be like, we should hope he golfs more. Right, right. Um, there was another story, uh, oh geez, I forgot who it was that wrote it, uh, but, but uh, about him and his phone on the golf course, and he's still using an unsecured phone. Um, Which, again, I remember Barack Obama weirdly wanted to keep his BlackBerry when he became mm-hmm. president. And so they had to, like, murder out this BlackBerry so that it was super secretive and, you know, nobody could hack it. Donald Trump hasn't bothered with any of that. Uh, but like, he left it in the golf cart. He just mm-hmm. left his phone in the golf cart. And, like, somebody had to go look for the phone. <laughs> it's just like, you're the president of the United
4: States. Yeah, it's pretty absent-minded.
3: <laughs> it's a little absent-minded, I would, uh, I would say.
4: Well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think he's more focused on who he's playing with and and the game itself than the, the official business of being president when he's out on the course.
3: So uh, this is sort of an indelicate question, but I've played with a lot of uh, of people who cheat. Uh, usually it's like with a former boss or a boss or someone, work, like someone you work. Know, they'll cheat because they know they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Can you confirm or deny <laughs> does Donald Trump cheat on the golf course? I
4: can neither confirm nor deny. Okay, that's all I was asking. <laughs> We've got, I was we asking. got mixed, mixed answers on that. There um,
3: have been people who said that he cheats on the golf course. There have
4: been and plenty again, of people.
3: By the way, I... I, this is hardly a reason to like despise mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Like, I don't really care if you cheat on the golf course. Everybody kind of cheats on the golf course. It's just a matter of how much you cheat.
4: right. And there's, you know, somebody I spoke with for this story is Rick Riley, the uh, yeah. sports Illustrated columnist who has a new book out. I think it's titled Commander in Cheat. And that sort of documents all of trump's Trump's golf game, but also all these accusations that he's not an honorable player. Um and one thing he told me that I don't think made it into his book is that the president will sometimes rig the governor on his golf carts so which is a like mechanical thing that controls speed yeah. so that he can go faster and get to the next you know hole or to the next fairway and move his ball if he's hit it into a sand sand trap or hit it off the course. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what I was told by Rick.
3: I got to tell you. <laughs> I don't hate that book. idea. <laughs> I don't hate that idea. I used to do that all the time with the governors on the uh, really uh, on the golf on the, the golf carts.
4: I had to explain to my editor what a governor was. And
3: that yeah, was. those are things. Yeah, because like you can only go so fast, and mm-hmm. there are certain carts that will go faster than others. And I played so much golf when I was a kid, I figured out how to how to just take the governor off altogether. You could really shag ass around that golf course. <laughs> you could really you could really get around on that thing. <laughs> I won't tell you about, like, you know, jumping over things on the golf cart. That's no good. But you could do it. You could do it. Um, So uh, we talk all about Donald Trump playing golf. He only ever plays golf at a Trump club, right?
4: That's right. Yep. He's played at Mar-a-Lago. He's played, uh, I believe, at Jupiter, um, Doral, I've always struggling to pronounce that. Yeah. Uh, of, of course, Bedminster, and then his course out in Virginia. Yeah. And I think once when he was overseas, um, prior to a visit with uh, the English prim- or the British Prime Minister, he played at his court in Aberdeen's. Of course,
3: yeah, of course. Now th- this, of course, brings into question about you know the businesses that are under the Trump name. Uh, he technically does not run these golf courses anymore, right? They're run by his his children. Technically. Technically. <laughs> Technically. Um
1: it,
3: this was considered to be an issue right after he became president that he has all these businesses and these golf courses and things like that and whether or not he would distance himself from them, himself from them. Uh he clearly hasn't. Uh, so, where does all that stand now? Have people just sort of given up on that issue?
4: I think a lot of people are sort of watching it more from the national security side now, um, uh-huh. which sounds weird, but you know, if you look at what he's what he does, sometimes after he finishes around, he'll he'll head into the clubhouse at his courses. He'll sit down, he'll eat his meal, and then he'll basically just let anybody who's there come up and talk to him. Yeah, and. You know, as we know now, based on reporting from some other outlets, um, that has led to uh, people with ties to the Chinese government trying to uh, peddle influence with him down at Mar-a-Lago. There are other people with sort of questionable backgrounds who have had this pretty easy access to him. So I think that's the biggest concern for a lot of people, myself included, who are sort of watching how he utilizes all of these properties that he owns and the access that people have to him when he is at these properties.
3: I, I still think it's so amazing to me that uh, it was in January of 2017, the month that he became president, that Mar-a-Lago, which you had to pay dues to get into, was of $100,000. As Literally, as soon as he became president, they're like, hey, you know what the dues are now? $200,000. <laughs> they doubled them. Right. Uh, because being president, as it turns out, is very good for business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when you talk about the influence and the people that are there, I mean, it, one of my favorite things to follow on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, all the people who like do the geo tag to Mar a Lago, because you see all of these people who are just like, you see them eating omelets with Donald Trump or, you know, a terrible sandwich or something, you know, with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And these are just people who paid their way to get. FaceTime with the President of the United States, which is bonkers to me.
4: Yeah, it happens on the course. It happens at the clubhouses. It happens on different holidays where he's down there. I mean, yeah. they have this Thanksgiving gathering every year. They have a New Year's Eve party, and yeah, if you just go to like the Mar a Lago tag on Instagram, it is pretty wild That's to great. see how many and and what kinds of people are just posing for pictures with him. Uh, snapping photos of the first lady I mean the access at these proper these Trump properties is, is pretty remarkable um, and and I've you know I covered the Obama administration as well um, and we never saw anything like this. I mean, no. of course he didn't own there were no Obama golf courses or properties, but even when he was out in public, it was very hard to get access to him.
3: Well, it's it, the access thing is just what is so fascinating to me about this, right? Because no matter who the president of the United States, whether be George W. Bush or Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama, whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a certain amount of security that goes around. It. And the, basically the security around Trump is uh, yeah, if you got 200 grand, you can hang out and have dinner with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, But then that opens up uh, problems like this most recent story about this uh, woman with ties to China. Well, she's from China Mm -hmm. with uh, ties to Chinese spies who showed up with all kinds of very troubling material into Mar-a-Lago. My favorite story about all of this. Is she had, I think she had like seven USB like flash external drives, flash yeah. drives, right? That you just plug into your computer, you can save files, take them with you. And the Secret Service confiscated this stuff. They're like, "Well, well, well, let's see what we got here." And plugged it into the computer. <laughs> and then I think the quote that I read, and I'm paraphrasing, was like, "All of a sudden, all these weird files started <laughs> showing up on our computer." We were like, "What the heck?" So I just took it right out. No kidding.
4: It's like an SNL
3: skit. Literally, (laughs) literally (laughs) like an SNL skit. Uh, Does the White House seem concerned about those types of stories? Because that's a pretty big story. And again, I'm not going to keep... I've mostly given up on doing this. But if that had happened in the Barack Obama administration, boy, oh boy.
4: Well, there were multiple Secret Service mistakes and breaches that happened under Obama. Okay, no, that's fair. And and they did get a lot of criticism for it. And there's been some internal changes. right? And I think, you know, there are probably watching very carefully to see what's happening with the Secret Service and their security protocols at these Trump properties now, too, and probably even more closely after this incident occurred. Um, We know that the president removing the director of the Secret Service last week didn't have anything to do with this just based on our reporting. It was more geared toward his handling of the bureaucracy. but it was know, curious timing. It was curious I, it, 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 timing. But, but all the
3: counts had nothing to do with it. But, yeah. but it was curious timing.
4: But I, you know, I anticipate that they have a, a pretty close eye on them right now. Yeah, um, making sure that this doesn't happen. And and uh, just to go back to you know how this president compares to some of his predecessors. I mean, it. He is putting himself oftentimes in these positions or his just by having these properties where people can buy their way to access to him. It's so unique. I mean, if you look at, like, Reagan,
2: yeah. he spent
4: his free time, or W, I mean, Reagan had a ranch up in Santa Barbara and would just go and chop woods. Like yeah. He wasn't surrounded by people who were paying, you know, $200,000 to get access to him. George W. Bush wasn't like that. Obama certainly wasn't like that. It's just such a unique way that this president um has has exposed himself to that type of influence and and I think the secret service really has to work that much harder
3: I hadn't really thought of it in that way but like you think about you know Reagan chopping wood George W Bush clearing brush mm-hmm. on the ranch Barack Obama spent a decent amount of time at Camp David mm-hmm. and 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 places like that secluded solitude Recharge the batteries, all that. How does Donald Trump recharge his batteries? By having people pay a lot of money to hang out with him. (laughs) That is pretty, that's the most on-brand Trump thing that I think I've ever heard.
4: It's pretty Trumpian.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, So finally, on the golf thing, uh, again, I'll give Donald Trump credit. By all accounts, he is a very good golfer. Even cheating aside, right? Like, I, you know, there's, a, there's a, a a saying in the golf community that there's certain shots that you can only hit with a foot wedge. Can you grab my foot wedge out of the bag? And then as soon as someone turns around to look for the non-existent foot wedge, you kick the ball into a better position. <laughs> Pro tip, if anybody's thinking about going to play golf. Um, but by all accounts, he's a good golfer. Right.
4: I mean, yeah, that's one of the reasons why he likes to play with these professionals. He plays with Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson. Uh, he's played a couple of times with Jack Nicklaus. He's played with um, Lexi Thompson. I mean, he plays with these professionals and these professionals, frankly, play with him because he is one of the best amateur players out there. And all of them say that. I mean, I spoke with a couple people um, who are just in the professional golf world, either because they're sports writers and have covered it for decades, or you know they're agents representing some of these players, and they all say that they're extremely impressed with the president's golf game and that he's um, he's got a handicap that's not too far off from from some of these players.
3: Oh, all right. Uh, I, One last thing I just want to mention again. Yesterday, Donald Trump tweeted, I spoke to Tiger Woods to congratulate him on the great victory he had at yesterday's Masters and to inform him that because of his incredible success and comeback in sports, parentheses, golf, and more importantly, all caps, life, I will be presenting him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. We've got about a minute left. Um, feels a little premature <laughs> to give him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, but uh, that is apparently where we're going. Right?
4: Well, and that's how these awards work in the Trump administration. Um, Elvis Presley was uh, uh, honored by President Trump posthumously. And we found out later later um, or after the fact that Stephen Miller is a huge Elvis fan. And oh. so he was the one pushing for that. This president <laughs> is obviously a huge Tiger Woods fan. so he's going to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And that's that. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, look, the 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 relationship between T- Trump and Tiger Woods is fascinating, mm-hmm. to say the least. Uh, I'm sure he'll give him the presidential free. I'm not even saying that Tiger Woods doesn't deserve it, but, like, usually it's—I mean, the guy's still competing. Right. Usually this is sort of like a thing you earn in retirement from mm-hmm. whatever you—anyway. Do- uh, Gabby or thank you so much for joining us yeah, uh, for I can say this will not be your last time on the show We'll have you back some other time uh, Lord willing it. and the crick don't rise uh, Thank you for tuning in everybody We will be back tomorrow and Bill will be here tomorrow So tune in This
2: is the Bill Press Show